Please remain standing for our scripture lesson in 1 John chapter 5. The sermon's on the last couple verses there, 4 through 5, starting actually in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Saints, you may be seated. We are so blessed to come today to my own personal favorite verses in the entire epistle of first john and a couple of verses that you could if you wish to memorize and and keep in your heart and always have with you great encouraging verses for any time but especially for us today before we come into them however as always let's go to the lord in prayer Father, we thank you that you do encourage us so much with the glorious gospel of Jesus and the person of Christ. And this text here, we don't just eke out an existence here. We don't just wait for some heavenly appearance, but we are overcoming even now, have overcome the world. We thank you that We have only done this in Christ Jesus, but in him we have the fullness and absoluteness of this glorious fact. We thank you, Father. We pray that you'll bless us today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we preach and hear well today for your honor and glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So why are the two verses of our scripture lesson for today so encouraging, so inspiring, and why are they your pastor's favorite two verses in the entire book of First John? Well, is it not largely because this is a glorious benefit and blessing that is given to us here and now that we don't have to wait for it? This is inherent as our birthright in Christ Jesus. It is part of the, the glorious treasury we have in the person of Christ as his holy church. I believe it very much is. The reason that supernatural and heavenly and regenerative and saving faith overcomes the world, though, is because of who it fetches to our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies, our world, our church. It is that who of Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and King, the great sovereign, the great ruler and conqueror of the whole world. So in these three simple verses, or actually two that we're going to look at today, there is a dramatic chain reaction, and overcomes is used over and over. This chain reaction starts in heaven, but it stops with us here in Christ on earth as well as in heaven. Our church, your church, all the faithful church everywhere. And the divine electricity that flows down from heaven through us, 
lights up the world through our overcoming of it in love and grace and in the power of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of these glories, let us make it our goal this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Day, to live by faith in Christ as God's church of world overcomers. With that in mind, we're going to look together at 1 John 5, 4, and 5. Title of the sermon, The Victory That Overcomes the World. The doctrine, in and under Christ, only two entities ever overcome the world. Well, think with me about that one for a moment. The forces that do not overcome the world are often those that we think do, but don't. Satan does not overcome Jesus Christ or his creation of the world, which God made through him, John 1.3. Nor does knowledge, people think that because knowledge has proliferated, it can somehow overcome the world. No, that doesn't work. How about technology does not overcome the world? How about any type of human being? no matter how powerful or pompous or puffed up or arrogant, does anyone overcome the world? No. In fact, the only ones who do are the faithful saints. And we're going to argue in this sermon that in and under Christ, only two entities ever overcome the world. The first are human beings recreated into the image of Jesus. Now we're clearly told by God that these people, these new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, overcome the world. So who are these strange beings and from whence do they come? Well, first of all, they, we, originally came from the hand of God who created all things and all humans and all angels and everything that exists. And then, even more amazingly, all of us, even the elect and redeemed, as we saw last week, if you were here, arise out of the morass, the pit, the slime of sin, the fall. We come up out of that, which had been the collective state of all sinners fallen in Adam. We come out of it, and rising up out of this horrible state of the fall, by the sole result of the Holy Spirit's regeneration of our souls, is our first resurrection, as per Revelation 20, verse 6. So these are the human beings. Just They don't look that different. They, in some ways, don't act that different. We don't wear funny clothes. We don't have big signs around our necks. But we are the ones alone who overcome the world. No other people or angels do at any time or in any place. In and under Christ, only two entities ever overcome the world. The first are human beings recreated into the image of Jesus. And the second is regenerative faith that accompanies our new birth. Now this is interesting that saving faith, which is a gift given to the previously regenerated people, because regeneration precedes the understanding or application or consciousness of our faith, is a gift of God to us, and it is said to overcome the world. Our faith overcomes the world. So what does that mean, and how is it possible? Well, it means that faith is the God-bestowed vehicle through which we, the saints of the church, consciously have conveyed to us the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is that vehicle, it's the medium 
between the glories of who Jesus is and who we are. Sometimes we mistakenly think that faith saves us. Actually, that's not true. Uh, Jesus saves us. Some people think the gospel saves us. Actually, that's not true either because the gospel is the message. It is the person, the kernel, the reality, the central core of the gospel, Jesus Christ, who saves us. So we, we need to say those things sometimes. I know that when we, I go to Alito and a few weeks there in early March, that's something I want to make a point of. I think it's important that we always keep before us the reality of the gospel and its most pertinent one, and that is the person of Jesus. So faith overcomes the world not by itself or not by its own virtue. In fact, really, faith is probably the humblest grace. You think of all some other graces like love and mercy, kindness, compassion. All those kind of have a content to them. Faith is is a humble grace, and it's humble. Maybe that's one of the reasons God chose to use it to connect our hearts to the glories of his greatest gift, the person of Jesus. And faith itself is a gift of God. We're going to talk about that, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's not like we get it on our own, we conjure it up. No, faith itself is actually God's gift to us. Faith overcomes the world by keeping the regenerate saints connected to the one Christ who overcomes the world. So from our vantage point as people on earth, in the church today, alive, from our point of view, faith is said to overcome the world since and because it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we have any possession of anyone who overcomes the world, and that is Christ, or our ability through him to overcome anything, which is also the world, and we do that through Christ. Therefore, as far as we are concerned in this life, faith can never be separated from our conceptions of Christ Jesus and all the benefits we receive from God and the gospel of grace. Now, you know from 1 Corinthians 13 that faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest is love. In fact, there will be a time where faith isn't going to be necessary, and that will be in the, in the glorious state of the eternal state in heaven. There won't be any need for it, but here there certainly is. Now, let's look at these famous great verses 4 and 5, 1 John and observe the unique characteristics of world overcomers. Now I say unique, U-N-I-Q-U-E, children, U-N-I-Q-U-E, because these qualities are never true of anyone outside of Jesus Christ, whether they profess the Christian religion or not. So only those who are regenerate, members of the church can really exude these qualities and own them with assurance. Now, in all three of the major points that I'm going to give you today, the word overcomes is found in its corresponding verses or phrase that will be with those points. That's pretty big for just two verses. So John is making a huge point of overcoming the world. And remember, in that first century, it was hard, just like the 21st century. And there was a lot of pressure on the Christians that felt that they might be getting overcome by the world. 
But this does tell us a lot, does it not, about the importance of overcoming the world, that the Holy Spirit wishes to drive this point home to our hearts and minds through his repetition of that word. And this isn't the only place in the book of 1 John. We've seen it earlier as well. Therefore, let us now investigate the unique characteristics of world overcomers first, We had nothing to do with our victorious standing, verse 4a. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. (laughs) Now, why are we emphasizing that? If you've been here the last few weeks, you've noticed he keeps saying that. The pastor keeps saying that, that we just didn't have anything to do with our justification, our right standing with God. Zero, nothing, absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, that's partly because we didn't have anything to do with our birth, our spiritual birth, any more than our biological births. We didn't order them up. We had nothing to do. And this same concept is true regarding our overcoming the world. As it is left up to us, dears, we are always, inevitably, and totally overcome by the world. And let's, let's be real, we have all experienced that. Not just in our past when we were completely under the domain of, of the world and Satan and all that. But even at times in our regenerative state, in our weaknesses and sins and foibles and flaws, and sometimes just God working in us and, and disciplining us and fatherly teaching and chastising us, we have experienced what it feels like to be temporally, temporarily overcome by something in the world. Typically it's a, a temptation or a sin or whatever it might be. So we understand that. But if it was left up to us, we would always be overcome by the world. But simply because we are newborn creatures in Christ's new covenant church kingdom, We are overcomers of the world, and we do overcome it totally and completely. And it comes with your birthright. Simply, when you're regenerated, you have overcome the world. And the rest of your life is spent pressing on that, as we've been speaking, pressing on. Army of God, outflanking the devil, wiping out God's enemies, starting in our own hearts, pushing them into the sea, being victors in Christ, triumphing over all evil at every level. It's a, it's a great calling. It really is. And only the saints of the church have it. We overcome the world. Now, let's talk a little bit about what that means, since it's so central to the doctrine in 1 John and the rest of the Bible. In brief, we overcome the world in Christ simply by the fact of our being born children of God. As I mentioned, that's found right here in this verse 4a. And the immediate effects of this are found in 1 John as well. The first one is our overcoming... Satan, 1 John 2, 13 and 14, and overcoming Antichrist and Antichristianity, 1 John 4, 3 and 4. So those things just are part of our package of overcoming the world. What a good thing it is to overcome the world, dears, and press on in our most holy faith, growing in Christ's likeness. Lord's Day to Lord's Day, and throughout the week, 
in light of what he teaches us from his pulpits. The unique characteristics of world overcomers, we had nothing to do with our victorious standing. And we are given the gift that overcomes the world, verse 4b. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Isn't that amazing? I think that's the the verse that really wraps her up. Um, This noticing with me, this faith is called and is properly said to be our faith. Did you see that? This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now that's a corporate faith, of course, the church together, but it's also each individual member within the church employing and enjoying that overcoming and victorious faith. This is our faith. Nevertheless, as I mentioned earlier, it is a faith given to us by God. And I mentioned the previous uh, verse, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. There are many other places as well that teach that and prove that glorious truth. So how can something that is truly ours, ours, fallen human beings, be so powerful as to be able and to be absolutely doing the overcoming of the world when in our past... We were always overcome by the world. We were subject to it, as everyone else is. Well, the answer, and this is key, is because Christ is ours. He is given to us. He is ours. God gives us Jesus, his own son, in the most personal, intimate, and gracious, glorious way. We're doing that now in the preaching. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to see it and taste and see that the Lord is good. Christ is ours, and our faith unites us to him and keeps us tethered to him so that we don't go wandering off into perdition again and hell and damnation, which is, of course, what we would do if it was left up to us. So this verse 4b is clearly teaching us the primacy of faith, and it also helps explain uh, providentially, in light of the song that we sang, Faith of Our Fathers, in light of the Creed, why our honorable ecclesiastical fathers, and the word is in my notes here, especially of the Reformation period, stressed faith so much. It's such a key and absolute necessary grace but it's a gift it's a gift of God anyone that wants it may have it if anyone asks God for any of his good gifts God will not keep it and the greatest and best gift is Jesus but it's a miracle for anyone to even want it the faith that is the victory that overcomes the world is not an empty faith Instead, it is one that is fully latching on to our thoroughly sufficient Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we're looking at the unique characteristics of world overcomers. We had nothing to do with our victorious standing. The gift is given to us and we overcome the world through it. And finally, we are enabled to apply our faith to the one Christ who overcomes the world. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, again, keep in mind the context. Next week is going to be a very interesting sermon. 
uh, tease you a little bit. Um, and we're going to talk about some of this contextual issue, but here the context is these Gnostic docetists who did not believe that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God. And this verse here, verse 5, is further delineating and accentuating the exclusive community of those who overcome the world. And it is an exclusive group. But it also explicitly connects faith with those blessed persons who exercise that faith all in Christ. So there's this chain reaction. There's faith, there's Christ, there's us, there's Christ. These all are connected. It's fascinating to note that specifically we believe, quoting John, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now even as per our excellent adult Christian education up here this morning, it is as the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, God with flesh on, in a human body, and with the unfallen human nature, it's in that status that Christ himself overcame the world. Isn't that amazing that Christ overcame the world by becoming a human being? Granted, Christ, the Word of God, John 1, 1, was the divine, eternally begotten Son of God from all eternity, as we said so many times in the Chalcedonian Creed earlier today, and rightly so. But he overcame the now fallen world, which was created through him, John 1, 3, as the God-man, and now he is forever both human and divine. You ever think about that, that the very... Nature of God, the Trinity, in some form changed just 2,000 years ago in space and time. Where the second person of the Holy Trinity went from being God to being now forever both God and man. You ever thought of the dignity, the honor, the amazing wonder of what it is to be a human being created in the image of God? that God would become a human being and not an angel or something else. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. And now we, the saints of the church, united to his body, metaphorically and spiritually or mystically, also overcome the world. But we do it through our faith in the one, Christ, who in the human flesh overcame the world. And that's why we have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood in that spiritual sense, because we have to have that flesh that overcame the world. A life is in it, and the Holy Spirit brings life to that flesh. Well, you know that we always do more application, and let's do that as we revisit our uh, first part of the sermon by comprehending why the doctrine of overcoming the world is so important. You know that all of life is a battle, all of life is a war, all of life is a struggle, and all of us and everybody else has to engage that struggle and fight in that battle. The redeemed and the currently damned, everyone does. And the goal or the objective for everybody Every single person you know, everybody is trying to get up over the top of this world with its seemingly incalculable number of problems and distresses 
and trials and troubles. Everybody's trying to get up over it, trying to overcome the world as they conceive of it. Rightly so, because they're created in the image of God. And this will be something of our focus in this application section for today. So let us now consider why the doctrine of overcoming the world is so important. First, because at heart, this is what all creatures made in the image of God must seek to do. I think this is a very stimulating scriptural and experiential truth for us to contemplate and to think about in terms of all human beings. Even the first murderer, remember him? His name was Cain. He had a brother named Abel. He went out in the field and he murdered his brother. Even the very first murderer was told by God that he, Cain, had to, quote, rule over his Cain's sin in Genesis 4-7, which is included on your outline. Now think about that. God tells this fallen creature that he has to rule over his sin. And yet, despite that, we all know, even from our own frustrated experiences of trying real hard and never succeeding in the flesh, that the unregenerate, undeniably, can never accomplish that goal of ruling over their sin or overcoming the world. Romans 8, 7, and 8 says it in clearest terms you could ever want to. Paul basically says it's impossible for anyone in the flesh to keep God's law. It can't be done. We all know that's true. We can pretend to. We can sort of do a few outward things, but none of it counts. It certainly doesn't count for anything good before God. But still, think about it. Have you ever wondered why God keeps giving commandments in the Bible? Telling people that he, who certainly knows all things and knows that no one who's not regenerate can receive the gifts of God, no one who's not elect is going to be regenerate. He knows all that, and yet he honors us as creatures made in his very image by rightly commanding us to do what we were created to do and to be, overcomers of the world. We were supposed to govern and have dominion over all things, all the creation. In the fall, we lost that. But it makes sense that God would continue to demand that. We were to overcome all things and situations that were created or placed below us on this earth and in the created realm. So this reality itself explains why even total unbelievers passionately hold to and adamantly believe in certain things and doctrines and certain concepts or certain causes or you can fill in the blank that they consider so important that they could even see them as their gods as typically they either are in fact or um, are at least very close to it idols So unbelievers themselves are able to be passionate about things. They probably have their Chalcedonian creeds too, but they are just creeds to false gods. But the only reason I mention that is everybody is seeking to overcome the world. Everybody can see that there's something wrong. They know they're not happy. There's something out there. But only in Jesus is that glorious freedom given. But for us, by 
who by unaided sovereign grace are in Christ Jesus and his church, we operate with a different mindset, an entirely different set of spiritual tools, if you will. We're going to look at that dynamic now. Why the doctrine of overcoming the world is so important, because at heart, this is what all creatures made in the image of God must seek to do, but only those in Jesus ever succeed at it. Now, when we say that we're the only ones who succeed at this, it's necessary for me to explain that we're not being pompous or arrogant, and that, in fact, we're simply being honest and truthful and humble in accepting what God himself says about his church. So we're only reiterating what he says. And secondly, we need to examine that statement that we are the only ones who ever succeed at it in Jesus from two points of view, two perspectives and important ones. The first vantage point is justification. We who are regenerate are always reckoned or accounted by God because of Christ alone, what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection, to be absolutely triumphant in the Messiah's life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and session into heaven, as per 2 Corinthians 2.14. So that's one perspective from the angle of justification. And secondly, viewing our Christ-absorbed lives from the standpoint of sanctification, we recognize our many faults, failures, and sins along the way. And we do. I mean, if we didn't, we would never have had that confession of sin time earlier today. We wouldn't have heard Isaiah 44:22, where God grants us this wonderful invitation. You wouldn't have heard the pronouncement of absolution coming from God the Father and the authority that he gives the church to pronounce upon the faithful members the forgiveness of their sins. None of that would have been the case. But when we do sin, we don't get overly discouraged by that. I hope you don't. Um, First of all, acknowledge that you will sin. Second of all, accept the fact that that is true, that we are sinners. And as I mentioned last week, sinners sin. That's what sinners do. Um, And we are still burdened with the sin nature. This is why we're gracious, forgiving, kind, compassionate, understanding with each other, because we understand what it is to be a sinner. And so as sinners, we're in the sanctification process, where we're pressing on, pressing upward, for the glory of God in Christ Jesus, as per Paul's words in Philippians 2, constantly moving ahead, pressing the envelope, growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and Christ-likeness making steady but sometimes slow progress in Christ, even as per Philippians 1.6. So if you really are in Christ Jesus, you're faithful in the church, you have all the hope in the world. This, none of this is true of anybody outside the, the church. They may be in Christ. It's possible. I won't deny it. But they can't have any assurance. That's the big point I'm going to be making in that conference later Uh, Lord willing, and it's an important one. And therefore, dears, think about this. The Christ of the gospel is good news for every human being, everyone, at every conceivable level. 
I'm going to give you three. We'll close with this, these gospel words. If today we are lost and dead in trespasses and sins, as all people are conceived that way, Ephesians 2.1, if that's the case, there is a perfect Savior who has died for us. We simply need to ask God for him, to receive him. If we are well-led Christian churchmen who are enjoying the fruits of redemption, the growing understanding of what it means to be a Christian, enjoying the benefits of the church kingdom of God, then we have a good shepherd who will continue to guide us through good times and bad, no matter what it is that we need to face. If, the third category, I'll close, if we are regenerate but confused Christians, and there are many of those in the world, sadly, then the Holy Spirit is our teacher who will always bring us back to Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Beloved, the victory that overcomes the world is the conquest that every human being, sometimes secretly but inevitably, desires. But only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh ever experience the victory that overcomes the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that victory that overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Thank you for giving us that faith. We would never have it if you didn't give it to us. We gladly acknowledge your complete sovereignty. We don't pretend to have any righteousness. We don't have any illusion that we would have been wise enough to choose you. We know the facts that we would have run from you forever. And we know that even those in perdition don't want to be in your presence. And yet you made us newborn creatures, born into Christ and your kingdom, your church. We thank you for that. We'll never understand it, but we will be grateful through all eternity. And we will plumb the depths more and more through all time in your presence. But starting here in church on the earth, where the victory has been wrought and applied in the person of the God-man who has overcome the world. In whose name we pray, amen.